Unspoken Issues. So, yeah, we're getting into Soviet super soldiers tonight. This is the Unspoken Issues podcast, and uh, I am not alone. I'm Jesse Starcher, and by golly, Dean Compton is here. He is he has joined me. We are discussing more comic books from the 90s, of course. Got a welcome back from his small hiatus. Thought it was going to be a lot longer, but he is back. Derry Waite, welcome back to the show, man. Are you ready to talk Soviet super soldiers tonight, buddy? I am. I'm. I'm very excited. I, I didn't want to go away, and uh, this. This, of course, is a book that I have never read. Which I, I keep thinking there can't be another one. I haven't read from the '90s, and here we are. So I'm. I'm very excited. <laughs> this is one that I actually bought off the rack because I remember seeing these characters in some Captain America, and some some Captain America issues, and I'll I'll talk about that here in a few moments. But Dean, you're the one that suggested it, so I want you to kind of tell us why. Why in the world? I mean, this is kind of like out of the blue, oddball kind of stuff, man. Tell me what's going on. Well, first off, let me also welcome Derry back. I'd say I'd say that I missed him, but that wouldn't be true. I really miss him so much. <laughs> there you go. See, see, we're starting off with a little sap. Um, well, you bought it off the rack. I stole it off the rack. I remember oh, stealing this from Walmart. Nice. I stole comic books from Walmart for like two years, and then I finally got caught. And All right, hold let on. Me, let, me, let me ask a quick question. Okay. 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 Because the Walmart that we had down here, it, well, I should say, and I think you're west of me at this point when your life. When Southwest, you yeah. I was, okay. Yeah, I was in Arkansas, you were in Ohio. Right. So... I do not remember them carrying comics at all. What was it like? And, and, and then maybe it's just something I never noticed. Of course, what, what was it like? They had Marvel girls like it was Nitro girls. Like, <laughs> down the aisle like, oh, here's the comic books. And you jumped into like a, a, a fucking vault of comic books like you were Uncle Scrooge. And you came up <laughs> spitting out like panels. All right. Okay. No, 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 no. For real, for real. Um, uh. I don't know. Do you have any grocery stores that carry comic books like a Kroger? Yeah, or like a Kroger. Kroger's... It was very similar to that, except okay. like they were like at the, at the Walmart in my. And it's really an honest question because a lot of people have like from the north for whatever reason the Walmart's did not carry them. You're not the first person okay. who's told me this. But like we had, you could get comic books in the magazine section. There was like a uh, straight up and down rack by the toys. They also sometimes carried like three packs of comics. You oh, know, like I got those, like a, a Superman three pack and Spider Man yeah. three pack. I've got some Spider Man three packs still in the yeah. package. I got them at an auction, man. Yeah, nice. Then every now and then there would be just random spinners. Like there was a spinner in the uh, cereal aisle for a long time, and there was another one by the hardware. I want to say. So there's a lot of comics. That's there. interesting. Yeah, That's yeah, really and, interesting. And, and I mean, they would have all different things, you know. Like there was I, this is the first time I saw Impact Comics. Obviously, the Soviet Super Soldiers. Uh, I'd started buying the Marvel cards at the same Walmart, so like the comic books started to get more attention. I become friends with a, a few people who are into them. So, so yeah, that's what it was like to get comic books at Walmart. Also, you could steal them. I want to hear this story. Well, I mean, I didn't have any money. I was very poor, and my okay. my parents. This is a sad story, honestly. They like to do drugs, and what they like to do is give us like three dollars to drop us off at the super center. And so, three dollars, they're like, "Listen, get a soda, but don't get anything else because they want you to be vagrant. You can abandon a child, but they can't be vagrant. They have to have a dollar." The fuck is that? Anyhow, so like, you'd be there with like a lot of nothing to do, and I just started to like think about stuff, and I was like, you know, I don't have much money. There's stuff here I like. I should figure out a way to take it. 
So one of the things I would start doing is I would like buy something, get the bag, and I would sneak the bag back in, and then I would like put a bunch of stuff in it. Then I would sneak the bag back past, and you know, or I would put some up my shirt, or I would like leave some under something where like I would put it in, you know, like a box that I had bought or something, you know, just different things. So that's how I stole. And I remember I got caught stealing a Hero Illustrated special when I was in eighth grade. I swear to God, I'm in the backseat of this cop car because Walmart's arrested me. I'm public. Oh. And my mom's in the front. They call my mom. And this is really annoying to me, honestly. So I'm like, God, I'm going to have to deal with this for a while. I'm like, who gives a shit? And I still like $7 for the comic books. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Crime wave stopped. And um, uh, to be fair, I probably stole like two grand worth of comic books from them. But I don't know. <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> over time, you know, but who cares? Right. I also stole a whole Marvel set of cards. Series four had the Venom fucking versus a Spider-Man hologram in it. No shit. Yeah. And so, like, I was in the backseat of that cop car, and the cop's, like, trying to give me the fucking bad cop routine. Like, this cop has the coatee, and it is 1994, so he's proud of him. He's like, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, I plan to seek public office, which I really did at the time. I wanted to be, like, the president of the United States because I was a dumb kid. And my mom was in the front, like, the officer started to say something else. She's like, no, that's really what he wants to do. He's not smart enough to you. <laughs> so, uh, but I picked the comic... Because uh, I, I stole it. It's one of the first comic books I stole. I stole Wolverine Save the Tiger at the same time, which is like a collection of the uh, first 10 Marvel Comics Presents. These were thick comics, so they cost more. I bought I some say. comics. Okay. Nearly a dollar. These were like $3. That's all I had, and I couldn't be vagrant. Vagrant. No. <laughs> so, like, I, you know, I, I stole these. I, I was interested in it because, first off, this is still when I was a, a neophyte. And as y'all have talked about, you're trying to get all the information you can. Like, my God, these are a whole bunch of guys I don't know. On some level at this point, I would buy a comic book like this or choose it over like a Punisher comic book. Not because I thought I would like it more, but I needed to learn. I needed more information. Also, this is around the time, uh, I think 1991 is the uh, the uh, failed coup against Gorbachev in the Soviet Union. And then uh, Yeltsin takes over. This is around the time that the Soviet Union splits up. I'm a massive geography, international affairs, political history dork. So I'm like, Soviet super soldiers? And that guy looks like Captain America? This motherfucker better find out what's going on, you know? <laughs> and so I was instantly attracted to it. And uh, so I, I stole it. I read it. I read it like a million times when I was a kid. Forgot about it for a long time. But when we started doing this stuff, I was like, hey, this is one issue. It's going to have a lot of guys in it. It's going to be genuine reactions from all of us, you know, uh, because, you know, some, some you know, like Derry hasn't read it before you had it when you were young I did it's going to be interesting to see all that come together and also this is the comic book that I would put forth as the most goddamn useless you will ever see Steve Rogers Captain America it's amazing and it has to be seen to be believed so I picked up all those reasons it's interesting politically interesting in the Marvel Universe interesting to me as a kid having this issue I read it way back when I got it remembered absolutely nothing from it other than the cover but going on this journey reading the issue doing research for this podcast man have i learned a lot okay so (laughs) we you know i'm going to cover a little bit about what uh what i've got written down here i don't even remember seeing this thing on the the racks granted it it's it's mid to late 1992 so i definitely wasn't looking at everything but i i 
definitely wouldn't have picked this up. That would have been the period of time where it's like, if it doesn't have Spider-Man on the cover, I don't, I don't know about this. I remember when someone bought me X-Force number one and I was like, I don't know any of these characters. I'm not sure about that. And then <laughs> that of course quickly changed. But uh, yeah, back, back then, even if I had seen this, I probably would have skipped it. What else do you need to know? <laughs> yeah he, it's still polybag not opened because he's just like i'm not getting into this <laughs> my, my copy of x-force number one is signed by rob liefeld to three of my friends who hated rob liefeld before it was cool to hate rob liefeld and they hung it up in my uh, lcs and i got it back the day the store closed because they were going to toss it i was like no i no. i want that i'm always going to think of you three right yeah, right There's, that's right uh, Soviet super soldiers um, comes out. Yeah. Just like uh, Derry said, it's November of 92, I believe is the date that I had listed here written by Fabian Nitsieza, Mar- art by Angel Medina, Javier Salteras on some of the art as well. One thing I'll tell you that's funny is a couple years ago, I got the chance to interview Angel Medina and I talked to him about this issue and he was like, Oh man, I got far behind. I was trying to do too much and they had to bring in Salteras to finish it. And I was like, yeah, but it was also like a crazy time in the world. And he goes, yeah, the wall, the wall was fallen. And so was my deadlines, <laughs> which is like one of the greatest lines I've like ever heard in my life. <laughs> Angel Medina is a great guy. I'm friends with him on Facebook and he'll, he'll pop in and see, he always has something funny to say and incredibly talented. You know I mean? He goes on to do some great work with Spawn. He had done some Dread Star, really underrated for this time, honestly. He should probably be held in higher regard uh, as, as a really, really great penciler of the 90s uh let's go ahead we'll do some real quick very quick character introductions just because there are a lot of characters in this uh we have ursa major which is a mutant who can turn into a seven foot five inch anthropomorphic brown bear first appearance incredible hulk 250 in may of 1980 vanguard who is a mutant trained by the KGB, ability to fly and possess an energy field that repels virtually all electromagnetic kinetic and gravitonic energy. I'm sure I'm pulling that from the MarvelFandom.com. His first appearance, Vanguard's first appearance, was Iron Man 109 from January of 1978. And then Darkstar, who is the sister to Vanguard and a mutant as well, with the power to manipulate the mysterious dark force, creating forms out of it. Uh, similar, I put it in here, similar to Green Lantern. She could use the Dark Force to, like, make a big fist or something like that. I think at one point she uses it to slap down a helicopter or something. I can't remember. but Right. I mean, it's important to note, too, that, like, she manipulates the same material that, like, like if Cloak, like, grabs somebody, they're going to, like, the Dark Dimension. I think Silhouette, like, traverses through it. There's a character named Darkling, I think, who came out. It's like a New Warriors uh, villain who does stuff. There's a few others, too, I believe. But like Dark, the Dark Forces dimension is like a thing in the Marvel Universe. Dark Star's first appearance, uh, Champions number seven, May of 1976. Now, these three are important because I've, I've got them listed as the defectors. So they left uh, They left Russia and they defected to the United States. And then I'll kind of talk about what came before and why they're back and why they are back in Russia at this point, uh, the Soviet Union. The next up, so the Supreme Soviets. So this is your Avengers analog over from the, uh, in the Soviet Union. We've got Crimson Dynamo, who is Dmitry Bukharin. I want to go with that. Dmitry is the fifth to pilot the large Crimson Iron Man-esque armor in service of the Soviet military. First appearance of Iron Man 109, 1978. Then we got Sputnik. Uh, I almost would say he's like the vision analog here, but he's, he's a synthesoid. 
Sputnik was one of the founding members of the Supreme Soviet, serves as the team's supercomputer and can hold his own in battle. First appearance, Captain America 352 from April of 1989. Red Guardian, this is, I think, the third Red Guardian. I, I, I'd, I'd have to look that up to make sure. But this is Joseph Petkus. Joseph Petkus. Extremely Good old yo Joe, extremely skilled fighter, acrobat, and is in extremely good physical condition. The Soviet Union's answer to Captain America. First appearance, Captain America 352, April of 1989. Another one from April of 1989, Captain America 352, is Phantasma or Fantasia. She goes by both. I, I had to look that up because I went back and read this arc that they're talking about that happened in the 350s of Captain America, and she is... She's one or the other. And then in this issue, she's the other, uh, whichever one it is. So she's Phantasma in one and Fantasia in the other. Phantasma slash Fantasia, skilled in magic, especially in the use of illusions. She has also shown the ability to fly and certain mental abilities. Oh, and get this. She is also a dire wraith. Did you know that? I did not. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. But I did know that these guys messed around in ROM because I read ROM last year. The mutants and the Supreme Soviets play a significant role in one of the uh, storylines. So there you go. And then we have uh, Perun, who is one of the Slavic gods of Eastern Europe and is the god of storm, thunder, and lightning. Very, very much an analog of Thor. Uh, no. First, believe it or not, <laughs> first right. appearance. First appearance, Captain America 352 from April of 1989. So as you can see, well, what is it? One, two, three, four of the Supreme Soviets got their first appearance there in that issue 352. And I don't know if you guys have seen the issue that I'm talking about. The defectors that I was talking about earlier are, earlier are laying on the floor. And in one issue, the Avengers are surrounding them. and It looks like they killed them. Um, and then the next issue is the Avengers are laying on the floor. Uh, the Supreme Soviets standing above them. And then we have... The exiles. No, not those exiles. The more of those exiles. <laughs> more of those exiles. They they call themselves the exiles. Although I don't think that is that comes up here. That is what they are branded in uh, some other comics, if I remember correctly. But anyway, we have Blind Faith, who is the preacher priest, Catholic priest, who helps the underground railroad for mutants in Russia. As a mutant himself, he has the powers of telepathy. First appearance, X-Factor Annual Number 1, Janu uh, excuse me, July of 1986. Stencil, this is her first appearance. Soviet Super Soldiers Number 1. She has the mental powers to mind-suck people, housing their consciousness in her own, but causes some split personality issues with her. However, she can use their skills. So she mind-sucks you, she can use those skills to her advantage. Cybercat also appeared in that X-Factor annual uh, number one. He's a mutant with a few feline-like abilities, quick reflexes, sharp claws, and enhanced senses. Then we have Mentak, also appeared, first appeared, X-Factor annual number one, July of 86, a mutant with advanced brain capacity, Iron Curtain, same issue, first appearance as well, a mutant with superhuman strength and durability. Then we have Concussion, same first appearance as well. As you can see, these exiles were running around in uh, X-Factor Annual Number 1 for a little bit. Uh, Concussion has the mutant ability to shoot concussive blasts from his hands. All right, so there we go. Those are a big part of the characters in this story. Now, I have the antagonists listed here, and these are the people that are going to run up against all of our heroes, I guess you'd say, in this, in this book. Can um, I just say, though, like, Mintak's power, who cares, man? 
<laughs> like, I'm not trying to like cancel or anything, but like, he's like, oh man, I figured out that it'll take these people five days. You're a logistics expert. I have a calculator, so I'll figure out these big numbers. Yeah. Like, what's this deal? I don't, I'm not he's, trying to be an asshole. No. I'm not happy about what happened to him. Seems like a cool dude. Big deal. It's like when, it's like when Superman used to say, oh, you super mathematics. It's just fucking math. Bro. It's math, bro. So our antagonist here, uh, the biggest one we're going to see that's kind of running, you know, pulling the strings behind everything is Colonel General Valentin Shadilov. First appeared in Iron Man 255 from April of 1990. A military man with the goal of restoring the Soviet Union to the days of Stalin and currently using all of his resources to ensure this happens, including using them against anything he deems a threat to his vision. And then we have Firefox, Dean's favorite character. Firefox... First appearance, Soviet super soldiers, number one, this very same issue. Cyborg assassin in service of the Soviet Union. Then we have Titanium Man. This guy's been around for a while. Tales of Suspense, number 69, June of 1965 is the first appearance. This is Boris Bolsky. Now, Boris... Boris piloted the massive green Iron Man-like armor and recently threatened a defector named Sergei. This is important. Recently defect, uh, threatened a defector named Sergei to develop a way of converting the armor into something as small as a credit card. However, it also converted the organics inside along with it until it was reactivated again. When Sergei finally fought back, Boris was converted into his own card form with the armor, which Sergei then tore it apart. Bro, tore it apart. So that's important because Crimson Dynamo is going to be searching for these pieces of Titanium Man, Boris, if you will. And then we have one of the strangest characters I don't think I ever even knew existed. Unicorn, Milos Masaryk, all right? Created by Stan Lee and Don Heck, first appeared Tales of Suspense number 56, 1964. Milos was once an operative of the Soviet Union using modified super weaponry under the name Unicorn. However, over the years, due to certain experiments, even though his strength and stamina have reached superhuman levels, he has suffered from accelerated cell deterioration that has left him mad. At the opening of this story, the whereabouts of the unicorn are unknown. So there we go. So to kind of set the scene here of what came before, uh, Captain America 352 and 353, Ursa Major, Vanguard, and Dark Star were all serving the Soviet Union, uh, Soviet government as the Soviet super soldiers at that point, but soon grew tired of the government's deception and lies. Defecting to the U.S., they sought asylum with, with the Avengers. However, the newly formed Supreme Soviets came looking for them, disguising themselves as the Avengers. After... The battle, Ursa Major, Vanguard, and Dark Star are left in a catatonic state. And at the end of the issue, uh, at the end of issue 352, in 353, suspecting Soviet involvement in the attack that left the de defectors near death, Cap heads to Russia on a diplomatic mission. Once there, he meets the Supreme Soviets, but soon their attention is turned to a giant black bear attacking Russian cities and citizens. They quickly learn this is a projection created by the angry consciousness of Ursa Major, Vanguard, and Dark Star. Cap succeeds in convincing them that killing the Supreme Soviets is not the way to work this out. The bear disappears. Back home, the trio awakens, seemingly believe it all to be a dream. A shared dream at that. At the beginning of this issue, the Soviet government recently politically maneuvered the United States to return Ursa Major, Vanguard, and Dark Star to the struggling USSR, as they do not believe these three weapons should be anywhere on United States soil. So, Dean... I want to get to your point here, man. Captain America, pretty yeah. useless. I mean, I mean, these guys are like, we did everything we could. He's like, oh, no. 
I'm like, you know, if you listen to our anarchy podcast, you know where I'm coming from here. It's emblematic of everything I hate about like liberal government. It's just utterly ineffectual. No matter what the right thing is, the rules are more important. They'll never break the rules. And and if you can't get it to work, then what do you want me to do? I want you to throw your fucking shield at this like uh, contraption and free these three people who do not deserve to go back to the terrible USSR. Like you don't want any part of it. And honestly, this has to be the first time in American history where we like refused the vectors from the USSR. What the hell? That's always all we ever did. Like, look, we got this chess guy. We got this other guy. The Hunt for Red October. Speaking of the Hunt for Red October, this was a very sexy theme at the time. I think this book actually was started being written around 1990 and drawn and stuff. I think it was much earlier than when it came out. And like you're saying, in 89, the Berlin Wall is falling. You have uh, Martin Gruenwald bringing contemporary events into the Marvel Universe into his Captain America book. And that, again, that's one of the things that attracted me to this book is I knew that the Soviet Union had broken up. I was like, Soviet super soldiers. It's not even the Soviet Union anymore. I just won the goddamn geography thing. What's this about? So I had to find out about that's a shoot, by the way. I had won the geography. <laughs> Four straight years. Finished second in the state, my eighth grade year. Never nice. I I'll never forget what the Labrador current is for the rest of my life. That's what I <laughs> um so it's really neat to see those real world events play out in 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 this kind of environment. Because that's one of the things that I really like about superhero stuff is I like to see real world concerns. And we can argue about whether it should really be the Soviet Union or some analog or whatever. But real world intergeopolitical concerns are an interest of mine. And superheroes are an interest of mine. And you put them together here and, 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 it, and I find it to be terrific. You know, you know, I mean, it's uh, Captain America can't get anything done. And I think that's, like I said, it's emblematic of uh, kind of what we have now with a government that can't do anything. It's like we see everything go to shambles around us. Uh, but Joe Biden has does not have an indestructible shield. So Steve Rogers has less of an excuse. <laughs> Derry, I went through a whole list of characters there. Just give me a percentage of how many you heard of versus how many you never heard of. Uh, we are below 50%, uh, which is... <laughs> Which is which is staggering because when I started reading this book this morning, I really thought I would recognize more of these characters. But Nasasia went in, grabbed everyone who had a Russian background, and and not only put them in a single book, but furthered every single one of their stories. Like if you had, or Bartis, he murdered them, or or yeah, or just murdered them for the better of. Uh, of, of one of the other characters. But I, I mean, you know, we, we think about stories today that, that tend to be a little bit more decompressed. You don't necessarily get a lot for your dollar, but this thing was a great buy in 1992. You got a full storyline for, for like a dozen characters, but, but yeah, I, I gotta say, I, I didn't recognize most of them and I had to read it a few times because the names weren't landing for me. So I, I would see Miguel or Joseph or something like that. And I'd really have to focus like, who is that here? And, and like really having to focus on the book that much was kind of fun because it was like, I know you're in the Marvel universe. I know dark star is an X-Man, but past that, it's like, I really don't know any of these characters. So it was kind wow. of, uh, it was, it was fun. It was, it was like discovering a whole new team, I guess. I, I honestly identify with what you're saying there because that was one of the reasons why I kind of started writing the – I mean I knew it was going to be important for the podcast, but it also helped me understand who these characters were 
and what they were bringing to the table and what came before. I had to do a little bit of research. I, I could tell you that if you drop this on somebody that had no idea what came before, they might be a little lost. We'll just put it that way. It's a good story set out on its own, but it'd be nice to know what happened, a, a lot about what happened before. I didn't know why. Were you lost, though? Like, you bought this off the rag, and I yeah. stole it off the rag. Well, I And can't... one of the reasons I stole it is what Derry said. This was a good, there's a lot going on here. I would I would reread this like a hundred times. I think I actually pulled the cover off and like pinned it to my wall as like a pinup. Like the only Soviet super soldiers fan in like, I don't know, all of Arkansas. Oh, yeah. But like, <laughs> how did you keep up at that time? I, I mean, because like, to me, you definitely had to you had to get it. But like once I read it like three times, I felt like I felt like I was an expert on all things uh, uh, Soviet in the Marvel universe. Uh, what about you, Jesse? I mean, you read it then. Yeah, I did. But I, again, I don't know if I can answer it because I honestly forgot what happened in here. So I don't know what my reaction was at that point. If I, you'd stolen it, you'd remember more. About uh, you're probably right. <laughs> if you don't have a whole lot of history with some of these characters, you may not know a lot of specifics and you're going to want to learn more about it. That's a good thing, too. I mean, you, you don't have yeah. to know everything going into a comic. It's, I it's think nice. when you're younger, like we were when we got this, too, like like I said, I'm really looking for that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there was so much already. That, like, maybe if you already knew about the Marvel Universe, you'd already been uh, or more about it than we did. And, you you know, it might be like, oh, there's a lot here to go. But I only knew, like, such a small sliver of it that, like, any bit more the door opened, it would have been just as daunting for me to have learned more uh, about, like, 70s X-Men at the time. You sure. know what I mean? Because I just knew so little about it. So this wouldn't have, like... You know, I didn't know how overwhelming the whole motherfucker would be like it's the Marvel Universe. So I just plunged along. Oh, let's figure it out in no time. <laughs> in the meantime, this, here's Unicorn. This right. issue definitely fails the Jim Shooter test. Of oh, yeah. You have to assume that if you're going to write an issue, certainly if it's if it's got number one on the cover, it's a very good chance it's going to be someone's first. So, you know, make sure that all the characters exposit their names, powers, and histories, you know, do the do the right. Transformers thing. Yeah, this this took a lot of research. Of of note, the character I knew the 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 most uh, the, the excuse me, the least about was probably Titanium Man, who I think was the earliest. And when he shows up as a credit card and he's got different pieces and he's got the green liberation front, I was lost. And I live in an era where I could pull those issues up on the same device I was using to read <laughs> Soviet super right. soldiers. But I can't imagine being in 1992 and not having access to any of that stuff. I mean, we're talking about, you know, you wanted back issues. Maybe you had access to a masterworks or something, but there was, there was right. no real like trade collection back then. So you'd read this and you'd either hope someone read and remembered a random titanium man comic or just be like, all right, this is what we're doing now. Let's see where it goes. I was very fortunate. I had a resource that is unbelievable because like our local morning DJ, for whatever reason, I will, I would call and bother him. And like, he was into superheroes. And when I started getting into him, he's into comic books and Star Trek and stuff. I would just call him up and be like, and I remember now that you bring this up. I read some of these superstars like, who the fuck is Titanium Man? And he would yeah. just tell me what he knew about Titanium Man. He'd tell, uh, you know, he, well, he was having no a slow morning, you know, he was fine, you know. And uh, I wound up working at that radio station when I was a junior. And that's, you know, I was very interested in that kind of thing. I don't remember why I started calling, I started calling this guy when I was in sixth grade. I don't know why he took pity on me and decided that he would talk to me, but God Great. bless him. And he's a big, Ben Johnson, if you ever listen to this, hope you're doing well. He uh, runs a radio station for Cave City High School now. In uh, Cave City, Arkansas, the the home of the world famous watermelons. And when I left that place, I was like, you know about the Cave City watermelons? No, that's just something they say. It's not really world famous. But um, uh, but no, he would tell me. So I so like I remember this issue now. I remember calling him up and being like, and he's like, 
why'd you buy that? That's stupid. Like he was like Jerry's like he he should have told you some of this stuff about it. But to be fair, if they had done the Jim Shooter thing, nothing else would have happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, 14 people in this comic book. So by the time yeah. all of them were introduced and we saw everything they could do, you just turn the page and be like, well, hope they, hope they figured it out. Yeah, there's no way you could pack that into 64 pages and I mean, and not get the story across. The other side of Jim Shooter's thing, and it applies here. I don't disagree with him as a general rule, especially Jim Shooter's pre-narrow casting. You know, some things I think right after he would, they're more boutique. They're more narrow. Cable would go from 50 channels to like 120 to where you could have like 300 now. This is the kind of thing that like, listen, it doesn't introduce everybody, but to be honest, it's not for everybody. We priced it at three bucks. It's a year and a half old already. It's talking about events that, you know, have really already real world events that are happening in real time two years ago. You know I mean? So I think that Jim Shooter, while I don't want to say he's wrong, I just think it's not a blanket rule. And in this case, it it probably would have been more confusing in a way to have done such a thing because you would have dumped all the characters on it. As it's divided up, it's more like you're watching like you're watching kind of a crime movie from the time, like True Romance or uh, the usual suspects it can be confusing but it will come together and i think that it would have been confusing in a bad way and again not to say that jim shooter doesn't know what he's talking about he obviously knows just a smidge more about comic books than me i agree but i actually have this issue with fabian and i've always had it i'm a huge thunderbolts fan and fabian takes over thunderbolts when kurt busiak leaves uh thunderbolt starts in 97 so about five years after this comic comes out and asesia always went out of his way to bring up the most ridiculous marvel minutia and and as an adult i would go back and reread the stuff and i'd be like but none of this stuff is interesting like to go back to the titanium man thing it's like fine don't assume everyone has access to that book but you can also just ignore it (laughs) you know like i I feel like a lot of this stuff you you would have been more likely to get a soviet super soldiers issue number two if you had just been like you know what most of this is nonsense most of these characters were never intended to interact with each other i'm going to ignore all the parts that don't work and just push on and do something new but you know for whatever reason nesasia never lets a single iota of Marvel continuity fall by the wayside for, for, for better or worse. He's certainly not a bad writer, but uh, sometimes it just kills me. Like, it's like, man, pretend no one read that and move on to the next, give, give people something new. Make right. and, this, and this is spun out of uh, Gruenwald's Captain America, who is also very known for never letting any bit of minutia go, right. for better or for worse. And sometimes I really like it. Yeah. Like in Cap Wolf, when like everyone who is a wolf person and Wolverine show up, because who's not a wolf, Wolverines aren't wolves. Who, who show up in the, in the scene, you know, to like do wolf stuff. And I was like, oh, there are a lot more wolf guys in the Marvel Universe than I thought about. And Wolverine. And Wolverine. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. All right. All right. We do the Cat Wolf podcast, which we will at some point. I'm just going to say that for like three minutes straight. (laughs) Wolverines aren't wolves. (laughs) Perfect. Drill it in. All right. Part one, the three-sided coin. 21 months ago, no one was talking about the dissolution of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, of military coups or nuclear buttons in the hands of barely experienced politicians. Everyone outside the boundaries of the monolithic communist nation were hoping upon hope that the democratic reforms being implemented in the world's largest country would work and freedom would soon ring across the USSR. Inside that country, a struggle of a different kind was being waged on a level beyond the comprehension of the regular working men and women. A war was being waged among the superhuman community. 
a war to determine how they would operate, who they would answer to, and what their priorities would be. It was a war like all wars, which would have winners and losers, heroic survivors, and remembered dead. Only the stakes were higher because it was a war being waged among the super soldiers of the Soviet Union. Walking weapons of destruction. And ironically, the first shot in that war was fired in the United States. Uh, so we open the issue as Captain America watches as the unconscious bodies of Ursa Major, Vanguard, and Darkstar are taken back to a facility in their homeland of the USSR. After a couple of weeks, Iron Curtain and Concussion infiltrate the facility with the mutant Blind Faith, retrieving the still unconscious bodies of Ursa Major, Vanguard, and Darkstar. Shortly after finding their prized possession now stolen, an enraged Colonel General Shatilov employs the assassin tracker cyborg Firefox to retrieve them. Sometime later, an awakened Darkstar is hiding in a remote mutant safe house cabin with fellow mutant stencil, Iron Curtain, Concussion, and Mentak, while Blind Faith is away trying to secure a new safe house. Suddenly, they are attacked by Firefox. Darkstar and Stencil are able to escape through a Dark Force teleport, but Mentak, Concussion, and Iron Curtain are brutally killed. Near the Finland-USSR border, the Supreme Soviets are in action, taking down an environmental terrorist outpost. Shortly after Crimson Dynamo is notified the government wishes to have a talk with him, Colonel General Shatilov tells the Crimson Dynamo he needs to head to New York City, and with the use of a device called the Matrix Retriever, Find the card armor pieces of Boris Bolsky, the original Titanium Man. However, the Crimson Dynamo does not realize that Shatilov's operation is meant to actually vilify him. Colonel General Shatilov also is planning on releasing something called Project Spiral Doom in Leningrad. Regrouping in a city in the Siberian lowlands, Dark Star and Stencil have found Blind Faith, Ursa Major, Vanguard, and Cybercat hiding in a new safe house. And it isn't long, however, as government helicopters surround their small apartment demanding the mutants surrender. Now in Brooklyn, the Crimson Dynamo finds the facility housing the pieces of Titanium Man's cards and is able to piece them together. He also finds other stored cards there, and when he activates them, he finds they are the Green Liberation Front, a villainous group of disgruntled Vietnam War vets once led by the Titanium Man. Yeah, I had to pull that one off of some wiki. Yeah, of Soon. course you did! <laughs> <laughs> the GLF. No offense, but who cares? <laughs> the GLF soon attacks the Crimson Dynamo, and in desperation, he activates Titanium Man's card, hoping to buy himself some time and possibly some help as well. Kind of like three stories going on here. We got our defectors who are trying to stay out of the way of Firefox and Colonel General Shatilov. And we also have, let's say two stories, Ben. Uh, then we have the Crimson Dynamo heading over to the U.S. to find Titanium Man. I feel bad for the three mutants, Ursa Major, Dark Star, and uh, Vanguard, who are just being shuffled about. Like, it's just, it's really unfair. It sort of really hits home, like, this is obviously more horrendous in the real, real world, but people are utilized as diplomatic pieces all the time. You see what's going on with, like, Brittany Griner right now, who's stuck in Russia, and it's like, oh, it's going to take some kind of big concession to get her over. That's what happened here, you know. Some diplomats make some handshakes, and now you're a person of an autonomy, but, you know, in this case, you know, you're a bear guy mm. but, but like you know <laughs> either we're put you to sleep and you're gonna go over here and i just and you know that that we don't think of that as horrific probably and i didn't realize how horrific that was when i was reading it as a young as a, as a young person firefox uh, i love cyborgs let me say that obviously very well on brand for me he does have a an eye that like you know he's got the 
targeting system and the red eye. But he has like one of the worst looking gun arms I've ever seen. Oh, I mean, like honestly, like he would have to hold his arms so like awkwardly the way it's drawn for it to work. You know what I mean? Because it's not like his arm comes out straight. It's a cannon. It's like he has like a gun with like a rifle butt that kind of goes. I mean, it's <laughs> it's weird. I honestly, the Soviet Union didn't have a lot of money then, so I should probably not rag on them. They're doing the best they could with what they got. <laughs> Does this dude not look like like, like Clint Eastwood had a on a bad day and <laughs> just? turn into a cyborg i mean he looks rough he really does look rough yeah well you know i mean like i said they don't have a lot of money so he's probably okay. in, a, in a lot of pain he's also just apparently hanging out here just waiting to shoot anybody who comes near he's all like you know <laughs> hey if you came to see firefox you either want to be dead or you want someone else dead You're like bro calm down it's very uh it's very like you know dramatic of you yeah you don't, you don't have to be so dramatic bro also like i'm not a big firefox fan because later like the punisher like fucking owns him like mm -hmm. he shows up at the john ostrander punisher and he's just oh god he's terrible but but honestly it's another one of those things we we're talking about the russian mobs are going to talk to the frank's mob because he's leading the mob at the time and so like firefox is their enforcer a really good thing to pull i think from Mark. you know like i don't know the dude who's like oh firefox gotta get that one remember him number, 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 number one i don't know that anybody did that but that's a neat way to put that in without hammering it over your head like dairy weight was complaining about um it's really neat that like this secret kgb plot is to like make the crimson dynamo attack america and look bad doesn't yeah. he done that like a trillion times that's what he does like how is this not gonna hard make to do bad? Crimson Dynamo went over there and does the thing he always does. Like, you know what I mean? Like, dogs shit on the grass in the park. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't understand how they, like, I guess maybe because Glassnose was happening and stuff, this was a bad look. Also, I remember being grossed out by the unicorn in, like, later, the you know, later parts. Oh, but, yeah. And I don't hear. But I remember asking my mom for whatever reason. I'd also ask my mom about like superheroes and she didn't know anything, but she knew a little, you know. So like I would ask her and I was like, who's Titanium Man? She's like, it's a wing song, Magneto and Titanium Man. <laughs> and, um, and that's true. There is a wing song, Crimson Dynamo's in it. But she knew he had fought Iron Man, but that's all she knew about it. She go, like, oh, he fought Iron Man and Paul McCartney wrote a song about it. Way to go, Titanium Man. I I never had a song written about me by a Beatles. So congrats. oh okay, yeah, yeah. The one thing that I that really stuck with me in this first part is Firefox like killing Iron Curtain by yeah! <laughs> shoving his I, I I assume his grenade launcher or whatever some type of explosive round into Iron Curtain's mouth and then exploding him from the inside. That was rough. I mean, he's he's taking people out pretty brutally here. I, like I said, yeah, brutal's they really the word. get him over like really quickly that he's like, oh, unstoppable. But what's funny is I remember reading this and being like, oh, that's horrific at the time. And he's mocking him the whole time. Yeah. And then like maybe a month later, I, I read a Wizard magazine. People got to ride in their own heroes for a little bit. Like it was, I don't know, like, you know, there'd be two of them and they'd draw them. And they're a hero or a villain. This guy wrote in a villain who had killed tough guy and you know how he killed tough guy tough guy was invulnerable he shot a grenade down his throat <laughs> so anyhow i was like this is a thing and then i remember seeing it on a couple other things why was shooting a grenade down someone's throat a trope in the early 90s i feel like it happened in like every image comic except the max mm. yeah. probably anyhow, sorry to commandeer that but yeah oh no, perfect I, I like it i like it all right Derry, tell me what you thought here of this first part 
I like the first part because it's it's a lot of setup. I was put off when I started reading this thing because the cover makes it seem as if, okay, so the the Soviet Union has fallen or or is in the process of falling. Th- things are things are bad. So I look at the cover and I think, oh, okay, all of the come Russian together. superheroes, yeah, they're gonna come together. They're gonna. Right. There's a time of need. There's going to be some big bad guy who's taking advantage of this. They're going to do so. And none of that happens. Instead, it's like it's a Cold War espionage movie. It's it's a political drama. And I wasn't right. expecting that because, you, you know, you could almost take the story, the plot of this, the 64 page one shot that came out four years from, before Marvel declared bankruptcy and like put it in its own continuity because it's all about like the Russian politics of super science. It's got a Siberian city you've never seen before. It's got characters named after the Russian space. It's got a lot of good stuff and it's just everyone just screwing each other over for like these tiny inches of land and gain and it just like really hit home. It's like okay, this this sounds like geopolitics of a state going through transition. I I enjoyed the hell out of it because I wasn't expecting it. Again, I expected like you know, some ancient god to to show up somewhere and all these superheroes having to come together and have a very traditional battle. But, you know, Nicieza really said, no, 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 I'm going to show you something a little bit more nuanced. And to throw in, you know, the, the disenfranchised mutants who right. who had been in, and I have not read X-Factor Annual number one, but I certainly uh, recognize Darkstar and, and, and her little brother there. It's like, oh, good, you you know, you're acknowledging these, these people who are hated, but also when they have something to contribute, the state's like, oh, great, well, now we own you. We're not even going to let you go to America and get the heck out of our way. So I, I really enjoyed this first part. And again, it was it was more a surprise than anything else. If memory serves when I talk to Angel Medina, like this was actually supposed to be released like two years before it. You know, like and that would explain like, you know, why it has that kind of feel. Because again, that's at the time we were seeing like the Hunt for Red October, the America miniseries that was like with a K on ABC. You know, it was this is very like sexy stuff because we were going to win the Cold War. Way to go. The October Guard was going to join G.I. Joe, finally. (laughs) Lex Luger and Hulk Hogan had finally vanquished Nikolai Volkov and Nikita Koloff. (laughs) <laughs> done so like uh so I, I think that's part of why it has that feel and uh and i, I i'm i'm into that stuff too you're absolutely right like you are also right because i stole this comic because that's what i thought was gonna happen it was like all these guys were gonna get together and i i was i'm also like a sucker for like analog guys i was like oh that's their captain america that's their vision that's their thor you know so like yeah when you see this cover you're that's what you think's gonna happen and uh it's a pleasant surprise that it doesn't go that way jesse you mentioned before and I just want to make sure that everyone knows. You mentioned a character called Cybercat, who I did not know about before I read this. But I want to point out, it's spelled cyber like the place, like Siberia. And I thought that was one of the best puns because I kept reading it. And I was like, that can't possibly be this character's name. And I looked it up and it's like, yeah, he's he's the cyber cat of cyber force and i was just like oh man you know what yeah. i love the 90s even 30 <laughs> years later and i'm still i'm having a good chuckle at this so, so thank you everyone involved all right let's get into part two the dissection of a surrender as soon as titanium man is released from his card form he immediately attacks the members of the glf giving the crimson dynamo some time but he soon sees that bolsky is not himself acting erratically and aggressively bringing down the whole building and killing the glf in, in the process 
As the police arrive, Crimson Dynamo has to lure Bolsky out to sea before more innocent lives are lost in Titanium Man's swath of destruction. Over the sea, Crimson Dynamo activates the Matrix Retriever, turning Titanium Man back into a card and storing him on his armor, heading back to Russia to meet with Colonel General Shatilov. When, we, when he arrives, he realizes these events in the United States have ruined his reputation. Again, Shatilov explains he only ruined the Crimson Dynamo's reputation. Dimitri's fine. Just leave me the armor. You're free to go. In Leningrad, Project Spiral Doom has been unleashed. Unknowingly, the Supreme Soviets investigate a nearly destroyed part of the city, tracing the destruction to the insane evil that is Unicorn. As they engage in battle, Phantasma is finally able to knock him unconscious, and they take him to a research facility. When the researchers remove the Unicorn's helmet, they find a disturbing, at least it was for me, third eye on a stalk in the middle of his forehead that is the source of his powers. Shortly... It's scary looking. It looks uh, like a dick. <laughs> Shortly. I don't know why they're like they were like, listen, we gotta make unicorn badass. What if he had a dick eye? <laughs> right in the middle of his forehead. Shortly the unicorn escapes, but two of the scientists, Zoya Ves oh boy. Zoya <laughs> Zoya Veselovina Veselovena Veselna. Veselvna and Arcane Tagai. Better at the start. You started getting Spanish. Fucking shit. <laughs> when you started, I, I like them. <laughs> uh, we'll just go with Zoya and Arcady. Uh, merge into <laughs> one being. Uh, they merge into one being called the Synthesizer. And yes, this is its first appearance. So Synthesizer uh, is uh, set to try and stop Unicorn. And that's the end of that story right there. Back in the Siberian lowlands. Ursa Major, Vanguard, Dark Star, and Cybercat cripple the Soviet Union government helicopters that have come after them. And soon, Dark Star teleports them away again to a mutant safe house system on the Black Sea. And as a few days pass, they are found again, this time by the government by a government team led by Firefox. They can't shake them. Firefox is just about on their tail every single time. Uh, so, yeah, well, that's exactly what it is. See He's got the eye. Uh, and that's uh, the dissection of a surrender. It's the end of part two. So One of the things I really like about these characters in general is one of you guys mentioned analogs before. And it's so obvious, you know, reading this comic that none of the people beneath the masks are ones with storied history. Like we're watching the fifth Crimson Dynamo turn into the sixth Crimson Dynamo. There's been four or five Red Guardians. This one isn't even the one who was in the Black Widow movie played by Hopper. And I, I think that's really funny because it's it's this it's this idea of like, well, okay, the superhero is basically an American concept. The rest of the world wants it. Within the Marvel Universe, the Russian version of Cap and Iron Man and even Thor to a lesser extent are, I won't say knockoffs, but they keep having to try over and over to get him right. And I kind of love that because it's like, well, who's important? The Crimson Dynamo, the the armor, not the person beneath it. And you see this like series of, of increasingly less interesting people. And I, I think that's a cool parallel to like our Iron Man, who's like, oh no, everyone just calls him Tony Stark. Like you don't even, you know, Iron Man is just this thing he does sometimes, but it's like you, you know, you call him Tony Stark. And I, I like that. I feel like that's one of the reasons that, you know, these characters, whether they're the Soviet super soldiers, the protector the winter guard you know they keep going through all these versions because they're imitating a thing they don't fundamentally understand and i i thought that was really interesting in the second part as you see the disparate groups come together like part of me is like oh yes come together deal with this colonel general whatever free people you know 
liberty and life and pursuit of good things. But that's never going to happen because, of course, it's not. You're imitating something you don't fundamentally understand. So, again, I, I thought it was this this tragedy in motion. I, I couldn't stop reading it, even if I didn't particularly care about any of the characters. These characters, you're right, they don't have a lot of history. One of the things they're doing really well for me is allusions to this history. Like, apparently, uh, Perrin, like, he really, unlike Donald Blake here, you know, who controls the transformation, it's the god who controls the transformations there. They're constantly being like, oh, I'd like to, you know, see my wife, I'd like to do things, but... Because they're seen as instruments of the state, as opposed to American uh, superheroes, which we have a weird relationship with the state here. But uh, in this, you know, superheroism is a much more individualistic thing here. So there, you know, we promise he, we, you won't be pairing that long, but they don't really care. And you can tell that they don't care. And it's neat to see that illusion. Like later on, you'll get to see, um, uh, or you're talking about the synthesizer. And they're like, I guess we got to reveal our secret, which would lead you to believe that the synthesizer has been doing Soviet shit for a while. Like, so, you know, so on the low. I wish there was more of Firefox, like actually doing like trailing stuff and not just putting a gun in somebody to show me where they are. Because it just seems like, like at one point he does, I think it's in this part where he's like, tell me where they are. It's like, I don't know. Too bad. Kills him. <laughs> but apparently he can still just figure out where they are. You don't, they try and give him the Goldberg treatment and it just doesn't work. Because at the end of the day, I, it's the Marvel Universe. I've seen Deathlock. I've seen Cable. I've seen in, in the DC Universe, they've had Cyborg and Deadshot. I've seen a lot of guys with gun arms who like fucking have cool eyes and I'm not saying Firefox doesn't have a cool eye but I am saying that like my he just shows up and kills people I don't get to see anything other than that until he gets aced which is really cool it makes when he shows up and finds these guys it becomes less threatening than it should if that makes sense I think this is also the part when he shows up to the last at, at the safe house and the mutants there um like they're like you guys have been making it worse for us and yeah. I love where Vanguard like picks that guy up and he's like, listen, you can do three things. You can you can like stay and fight, or you can run and hide, or you can sit around and wait to die. And it reminded me of this great song. And the lyrics of it are like, I don't have to do a goddamn thing but sit around and, and wait to die. It's by living the dream. And I can't remember, you know, for the life of me, I can't remember. Russell Stinson? That's not it. That's not the guy. I'll come up. Sturgill, Sturgill Simpson, I believe, is the guy. And it's a great song. It reminded me of that so much. Like, yeah, you don't have to do anything but let, you know, this low-rent Kmart cyborg kill you if you want. You know, I mean... <laughs> I think this is this is emblematic everywhere, but it would have really been emblematic in a country going through such transition. People who took action would be vilified to an extent. But actually, like, Vanguard's like, no, we're the ones fucking taking care of business. If you want to just keep hiding, like, that's fine, but don't tell me we're not going to fight. Of course, it's easier for him to say because, man, he's got some cool-ass power, you know what I mean? Like, right. that's the thing, too. When, when the guys are running away, they seem, like, helpless. Like, Iron Curtain should have been able to do something. Concussion should have been able to do something. But when and Ursa Major, Vanguard, and Darkstar show up. Now, all of a sudden, like, we can do things. And uh, speaking of songs, there's a great song I like, too, called Destination Ursa Major by Super Drag. And I remember I discovered this album around, like, 96, 97. And I remember hearing that song on the album and being like, that bear guy! You know, <laughs> it was probably the first time I thought about Soviet Super Soldiers <laughs> at least a year or two. I was like, that bear guy! I think this idea gets explored more later in uh, Miller's Ultimates, that these are persons of... Yes, yes, yes. Like, to the Soviet Union, these guys aren't, like you're saying, they're not heroes and they're not people. They're instruments of the state. And if the state says, go save Leningrad from this weird unicorn, great. But if the state also said, invade the Ukraine, that's what they'd have to do. Yeah. The, the, their analog 
is the Avengers superficially, powers-wise. Yeah. But they're really probably more like the Imperial Guard in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I, I was going to mention that, too, because, you know, you said superheroes have a weird relationship with the state. And, and it's true. Many of Avengers' arcs are dealing with, you know, their liaison or, or who oversees them or who's in control right. of them. But then, yeah, across the street with uh, the Ultimates, it's the exact opposite. They for most of their storylines, they're funded by the U.S. government. S.H.I.E.L.D. is basically Department of Homeland Security, and most of the uh, conflict comes from that. But also, there was a miniseries called Ultimate Nightmare, which brought back all of the characters we are discussing, except they were dark horror characters as envisioned by, uh, or re-envisioned by Warren Ellis. And that was my actual introduction to most of these characters, because like I said, I didn't pick this up on the rack. So the first time I saw Red Guardian, Unicorn, a couple of the other characters, they were being like messed up horror characters and i won't give away the uh ending for someone who hasn't read ultimate nightmare which i'm sure is like 20 years old at this point but uh, it's got a it's got a surprise ending so anyway yeah i I completely agree i i was reading this and i was like oh there are so many themes that are going to be explored later post 9-11 when we get to the ultimates when we get to questioning if it's a good thing that superheroes don't respond to the government. And then, of course, the guy who creates the Ultimates, Mark Miller, is going to come back with Civil War and say, well, now they have to. And now you're going to see a pretty cool fight for separate issues. So, Right. Another good analog for these guys, too, and maybe even better in a way, would be, uh, well, maybe not for every group here because there's several different groups going, but uh, the Suicide Squad. There's a lot of, you know, uh, interesting uh, war, you know, warfare between departments that theoretically should be on the same side that in theory have similar, if not the same goals, but they don't like each other. So they're always trying to pull this string or that string to get this guy onto this team or off this guy or get, make him look bad. So he's got to do this because we want that. So I think it also has a lot of co- in common there. Maybe not the teams themselves, the concept, not themselves, but a lot of the uh, tropes and concepts that are utilized within it. Uh, it really goes w- very well with, your with a suicide squad collection you're absolutely right one of the best things about the john ostrander suicide squad run from the 80s was just the the internal bickering like in real life we know the fbi and cia are always like sniping at each other and a lot of that was in a comic like they had checkmate they had task force x they had uh argent they had a whole bunch of other stuff project adam yeah yeah exactly Yeah, yeah. And they even brought in the Keen Act from Watchmen. And it was all like, who's got jurisdiction? Who's going to deal with Karak? Who's going to deal with all this nonsense? And, you know, watching Amanda Waller or someone else basically like flex their muscles and send a bunch of Z-level supervillains into the the fire was the best part because it's like, are they coming back? Is someone getting into trouble if they come back? Like, I love that stuff because... A, you don't know who's coming back because all these characters are disposable, but B, at the same time, that's not even the main conflict. The main conflict is all the stuff behind the scenes. So I love that right. I love political intrigue. I'm a big fan, big fan too. And like, much like here, the way it will wind up in the third act, another one of my favorite things on the Suicide Squad is when one guy on the Suicide Squad, for whatever reason, no matter who's there, there's always one guy who like the implant wouldn't work on or whatever. And I remember like the time Black Adam was in it and he just ripped this fucking thing out. It was like, all right, so what are we really going to do, guys? And it's always funny too to see these people who are like, in charge of their little kingdoms. And there's no more tyrannical an emperor than the emperor of a tiny kingdom, especially one that's like foisted within a bunch of others. And it's great to see them get their comeuppance sometimes too. And, you know, when somebody's like, actually you're not quite as powerful as you think. You think that you moved all the chess pieces right, but I just knocked the board over and set the house on fire. <laughs> so as far as shocking moments 
in comic book history. I'm going to say that the unmasking of the unicorn really disturbed me. Yes. I didn't know anything about the unicorn coming into this. I saw him running around. He's got, you know, shooting stuff out of his head. And I'm like, oh, he's got some kind of beam that he can shoot out of the. I had no idea I was going to see that. No clue. Yeah, who thinks they're going to turn the page and see a dick eye in a comic book called Soviet <laughs> Super Stars? It's what it looks like. It looks like his. It looks like he grew like one of those fucking new age third eyes, but there's a penis behind it, <laughs> and it ends in an eyeball. And it's crazy. I remember when I saw this. Like I like turned the page real fast. I was in seventh grade. It's not like I didn't know what dicks were, and it's not like I had you know fucking. You know, like, you know, it wasn't like super prudish, but this is just weird. It's unsettling. Barry, did you, did you know this was going to happen? Did you have any idea that this was underneath the mask? Did you have any clue? No, not all right. not at all. I, I had a very limited understanding of the character of Unicorn. I don't even know if this is the original Unicorn. I, I tried to figure that out today because I, I I knew he went back to, to the 60s, but I was like, I, I don't remember seeing him all that often, so I, I, I think this might almost be a later edition or something. There uh, is some, there is some weird, weren't there? And, and you might have read a little bit more of the wiki than I did, but I remember reading stuff about how, like, he started. I don't know if he started to mutate or if thing. I, I know he had cell deterioration. That was one of the things I remember them saying. So that I don't know. Look if, deteriorated. No, it looks, it looks like, like he. It looks. It looks like the opposite. Like it's like <laughs> like he's throwing an appendage he shouldn't have. That's not deterioration. He's um, got that evil, stupid grin on his face yeah. too. Like, right. It's not helping. Like I don't. I need, you know, his eyes. Other eyes are closed. The dick eyes open. <laughs> I don't need this shit. <laughs> I, I like this too because I, I like the fact that everyone in this book has like not really a great superpower and everyone at the top, everyone who, who believes they're in a position of power is trying to get them. is trying to like pull them in and be like, no, nah, you work for me. You work for me. You work for me. But it's always like with a catch. It's like the storm God doesn't really respect your authority and is only there because you've promised him like booze and, and to hang out with him. Yeah, exactly. And you keep replacing the other characters. People keep making fun of Ursa Major. They keep telling him he smells when he turns into a bear. Like, like these are these are characters that are, you'd almost see in like the boys or something. So I think it's funny that like the unicorn shows up and he's done a lot of damage. He's killed a lot of people. They're like, oh man, we have to get him part of Spiral Doom or whatever's going on. But you finally get him in a lab and you take his dumb helmet off and he's got this third eye that just kills everyone. And I thought that was like emblematic of the entire thing. It's like, yeah, you want this thing you can't even control. It doesn't even, it's not going to help you get what you want anyway. You don't even realize that. It's weird though, because like Ursa Major and Vanguard and Darkstar are treated very seriously elsewhere. The characters here don't care. And I wonder if that's also part of like the uh, culture. Like, well, I'm yeah. not going to fuck it. You know, like, fuck you guys. You tried to leave. Now you're back. Whatever. You you don't smell bad, right? <laughs> like, I wonder if that's just, you know, people who feel a little spurned because those exiles feel like these guys should have helped them more and they haven't. And, you know, you can talk about that inclination one way or another, but I wonder if a little bit of that is, uh, you know, in, in regard to their feelings of betrayal. That's a really good point, actually. I, I hadn't considered that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, if you think of the, the size of Russia and how um, some people are, are really secluded, right? And, and yeah, obviously yeah. 
there's all these other states that are that are declaring their independence at this time. Some of them's got to be like, wait a second, you were you were an X Man, you were a champion, you like Captain America's phone number. You didn't come back here and help us. Like right. you could have shuttled us through the Dark Force. You could have gotten us with the. You know, you could have done all these great things. What did you do? You went to Los Angeles and you abandoned us. Like at least Colossus came back for his sister. It's like, come yeah, on, guys. Right. but Colossus has faced some of that stuff. Uh, and Omega Red is like taunted him about it. Like Omega Red somehow, like, oh, look at me, I'm really good. Me, why can't you be a good guy like all Omega Red here? You know, <laughs> I feel like these folks, not just for being Russian, but also mutants. These three guys are mutants, yeah. and you've left these mutants to die. You've also seen like the Morlocks accuse the X Men of the same thing. Like, oh, yeah. oh, it's pretty great. It's pretty great that Jean Grey looks like an incredible supermodel. In the meantime, I have two dick eyes making me more horrific <laughs> than the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Anything left on the table there that you guys wanted to bring up before I get into part three? Here we go. So naked before tomorrow, returning to the battle of the safe house on the Black Sea, Stencil is able to absorb the minds of the attacking helicopter pilots, defeating them pretty easily. Uh, Vanguard confronts Firefox, where he quickly and violently removes all of his cyborg Im- cyborg implants. Uh, that eye went away, Dean. I don't know how distraught you were there, but yeah, he, he removed that eye pretty quickly. However, Blind Faith convinces him, please do not kill him. They leave Firefox and escape to another safe house. And they are all over the place in these safe houses. Russia's uh, a big place. Right, right, right. It is. In Leningrad, Unicorn is able to get a shot in on Synthesizer, but turns around to find Titanium Man pointing his massive shoulder gun at him, advising him he has an offer that Unicorn cannot refuse. Back at a Russian lab, they have perfected removing the Titanium Man armor into credit card form without affecting Bolsky and the process. Uh, in a separate room, Colonel General Shadilov speaks to a wounded Firefox and explains he has put together the team of Unicorn, the Titanium Man, Firefox, and himself as the new Crimson Dynamo to return the Soviet Republic to the great days of Stalin. Great. The, <laughs> the Supreme Soviets meet up with Colonel General Sh- Shelkov, different general, uh, Colonel General, Colonel General Shelkov, and are soon joined by Dmitry, who advises them he has been separated from the Crimson Dynamo armor. However, they have developed a new suit and name for him, that of Airstrike. Sputnik would also now like to be known as Vostok, and soon they are revealed as a new team, the People's Protectorate. In a distant home, Blind Faith attempts to determine the next step for his team of exiles, which include Vanguard, Darkstar, Cybercat, Ursa Major, and Stencil. Whatever it may be, he absolutely knows it ends with the overthrow of the Soviet socialist government. Yeah, well, the economy (laughs) didn't beat him to that one. (laughs) Even in the dying days of the Soviet Union, there were still a good number of hardliners who thought it could somehow come back, and that's why there was a coup and you know... uh, it would have been late 1991, I believe, uh, right when I was going back to school. They, like, kidnapped Gorbachev and said there was a new, uh, you know, we're in charge now. Boris Yeltsin led a bunch of people to, uh, God, what's their thing called? The Duma, I want to say. And uh, their parliament, essentially, and, you know, was like, hey, we're going to we're gonna have civil resistance and the coup didn't last. So, yeah, this is a little late for that. But, you know, if this had come out in, like, 1990 or early 91, or even like at the same time as this, it would have seemed more timely. Although I don't know what happens with these guys next. I mean, uh, I know Firefox becomes a mob enforcer, but I wonder. But I wonder what happened to this dude as the Crimson Dynamo. Also, Airstrike, really cool armor. I like that. As far as resolution goes for the story, what it felt like was 
it really does feel like you're setting more stuff up. Uh, right. it, it feels like there should be a lot more that comes after this. We've got a team that's ready to go up against the government. We've got a government team that's put together that's going to try and bring things back to the way things were. In the middle of that, I guess you got the Supreme Soviets who are just serving their state. So the, the People's Protectorate. Yeah, my bad. The People's Protectorate. Uh, they have a million names. And honestly, like Soviet super soldiers is the best one. That rolls off the tongue. It sounds good. Like, I mean, I, I get that there's no more USSR, so you have to come up with something different. But People's Protectorate doesn't sound awesome. Winter Guard over People's Protectorate. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I, I forgot from the second part. That's where Vanguard just like brutalizes Firefox, right? Just like crushes his gun arm. And, like, uh, it rips his cyborg guy out. It's amazing. And I remember this is when I'm first getting into comic books. This is code approved, y'all. So it is like violent and everything, but like I hadn't seen a lot of the spawn stuff or young blood stuff, which would make this look much tamer. But I remember like between Unicorn's Dick Eye and that moment, I was super <laughs> horrified. But I do think this is definitely like like he said, it wraps up very neatly without a conclusion, if that's something you don't normally say. But there's not really a conclusion, but all the loose ends in this thing are sort of sort of tied up. Very, very interesting to see Vostok and how you, he's kind of doing the same thing Vision did. You know, he's becoming more of a person as opposed to a machine. That's why he wants to be known as Vostok, which is like the first manned space flight, versus Sputnik, which is just the first, you know, uh, satellite or what have you. Right. Um, just straight up machine, right? Straight up machine, right. So yeah. he's growing as a, as a as a being, as it were. I, I really, really enjoy the hopefulness in the exiles after everything that's happened to them, after R.I.P. Iron Curtain, who was blown from the inside out. You know, they still have a lot of hope. The concussion guy had his hands blown off. Remember Jeez, that? Blown off. I know, right, dude. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then Firefox is like, what are you going to do now that you don't have any hands? Kick you in the balls. That's what? No, he didn't do that. He's, he's just going to look at his that. stubs. Is what oh, yeah, that's do. what you do, too. I'm, I'm talking like a badass, but you'll notice from the Skype video, I'm in possession of both of my hands. So... True. <laughs> it's easy for me to say, kick him in the balls if you got shot in the hands. Probably just going to look at your bloody hands. And, and You are. Yeah, well, yeah what, what else would you do? But I like that hopefulness. I think they've done a really good job. Like, if this had somehow gone on, what I would have wanted was for the Exiles and the People's Protectorate to somehow, like, join up together. They could do a USSR Secret Wars, you know? Mm. Um, where, like, you know, I mean, you know, where, like, these, these disparate guys have to fight. And much like the mutants in the Secret Wars took their own side. That's the analog I might have utilized in that. Also, as the other, we talk a lot about Russia, and people use the Russia and USSR, Soviet Union interchangeably. But, you know, that's not true. Like, this, the Union of Soviet Social Republics was made up of a lot of, like, different republics, like Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Georgia, Moldova, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, you know, Belarus. I, I don't have to name them. Y'all know that. But um, it would have been interesting as this went forward to have seen how that would have impacted this because this book was going to be something that had a lot of skullduggery, black ops, cool shit. And that would have opened it up for a lot of it. Because you're talking about you go from one big nuclear power to three nuclear powers. It's, it changes the whole status quo for Eastern Europe, which changes everything for Western Europe. You could have wound up with like a really cool like Turkmenistani hero or what, what have you. And what would that mean? You know, because that's the other thing. These these republics are a lot different. Like, like Ukraine is a lot different than Uzbekistan. We would have gotten to see like what that meant to be a hero 
in those places versus Russia, versus Uzbekistan, versus Armenia, et cetera. There would have been a lot for them to play with if they had been able to go forth. But all in all, it, it comes to the conclusion it needs to, to to get it to where, like, if you're interested in this, you could write letters and stuff, maybe get a series going. That does not happen. But I would have bought more of it or, you know, stolen more of it, most likely. But I would have I would have read it. That's what's important. <laughs> Why do the Russian issues keep disappearing from Walmart shelves? <laughs> <laughs> that damn Dean Compton. Uh, it's like a hammer and sickle-like shirt. Like, oh, I don't know. Who can it what be? is going on around right here? We're all looking for the guy who did this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny in a lot of ways because all of the pieces are left in a place where the next writer could have picked up the baton. You know, Nasazia takes all these disparate parts that Groenwald and um, Bob Layton and other creators had kind of put into place and said, well, I'm going to kind of throw them all together and uh, see what comes out of it. You know, you, you have new teams that are kind of set in place that don't necessarily depend on the Soviet Union. So I assume he was assuming that other character that other creators were going to use them. But yet to your guys's point, none of these characters ever show up again. And when they do, they're as different as they were last time. So it's, it's just kind of funny because it just it feels like there should be another issue like you did all the build up you did you got all your pieces in the right way well now you actually have to execute that you know you you, mm -hmm. you got everything in place and now they got to go and then that doesn't happen and then you don't see these guys anymore and it's almost like wow you you did all the legwork and i feel bad you never got to go anywhere with it so mm -hmm. i i was looking for that but i i looked and you know really the next time they show up, they're they're the Winter Guard. They're still the Winter Guard, and none of these plot lines really go anywhere. So I kind of I kind of felt bad, but but at the same time, you do get a story in this one shot. You know, it delivers on what it says. All the characters are in a place where I won't say they're comfortable, but they're you know they're their arc in this issue has been has been dealt with the villains been kind of put aside for a while and future conflict is coming but 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 you got your money's worth, which is good too. But uh, I just felt like there was more story to be told. Right. So, like, as far as Russians go, like, this touched a lot of guys from the Soviet Union. Is there anybody from the Marvel Universe that, like, you didn't see? You're like, hey, why wasn't this person involved? Or this, like, group of people? As far as Russian superheroes go? Yeah, you're any, anybody, like, why, why, you know, like, why wasn't, like, Colossus's family involved? That was one for me. I mean, that would be the most. And I also yeah. thought about the, uh, the Gremlin from uh, the Hulk mythos. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? And also... That guy from the Carnage issues at Madison Square Garden who pulled the knife out, like he looked <laughs> yes. Eastern European. He was ready to go. He should have been in this. He was ready. I'm telling you. But no, for real, there were a few Russians that I thought it was interesting that there's there's no gremlin, there's no mention of the abomination, there's no mention of like you know Colossus's family. Uh, was the Red Ghost? Oh yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a really the Red Ghost. Yeah, yeah. Great point. And he's also like a hardliner. Like that yeah, was his yeah, whole yeah. stick was like he loved communism for whatever reason. Um, but like he was really he gave into him all those yeah. monkey brides, you know. You said that, and and one immediately popped into mind. You know, the the early Marvel days, or at least the Marvel in the sixties, most of the villains were Russian because that's yeah. who you fought at the time, right? It's right. like James Bond. It's like they they all had generic Russian or or that part of the world origins, and you know a lot of that's been I won't say retcon, but ignored as part of the storyline as it goes on. Abominations now English in the movies. Right. Um, the Rhinos got like a normal Mook name, but the one character who's really kept it up, who I'm a big fan of, um, is the. Chameleon. He was notoriously a Russian agent. No one oh. even knew if he was 
Russian because until they they gave him a backstory of being Craven's half brother, no one had ever seen what he really looked like. So for years he was this Cold War horror story that the agents would tell each other and that was that was consistent all the way through he had some interactions with Peter Parker's parents and early shield agents and all that other stuff so i was kind of hoping that he would pop up the the faceless man the ultimate boogeyman but again i just you know i just always want to see more spider-man characters so yeah i was going to say this probably <laughs> was just one of those things this is a very more captain america centric yeah. you know thing and maybe they didn't want to deal with the spider office they should have dropped the name though yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they True. should have at least been like, you know, at least mentioned the chameleon or something. That would have been really, that would been really cool. You're right. That's a, that's a great pick. That's a great pick. You know, for me, like I said, I think it's the gremlin because he hides out in those kind of fortresses where like half this stuff took place anyway. All right. Anything else? Anything left unsaid? It's Soviet super soldiers, guys. We did it. Did it. If you see it, pick it up. It's not bad. It's probably not going to cost you a lot. It wasn't on the app, so I, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, it, it was reprinted anywhere. I, I certainly haven't seen the back issue in many years, but uh, if you see it, grab it. It's not, a, it's not a bad way to spend a few minutes. Yeah. The cover alone is honestly worth a buck. Cover's right. great. It really is. As soon as I saw it, it was like one of those like just jam covers. Just, you know, if, if, if they were born in Russia and they're a Marvel character, throw them on there. Right, yeah. right, right. It'll um, probably get reprinted in an epic collection at some point, like one of the Captain Americas, maybe an Iron Man, maybe even an X-Men, but at some point whenever, because that's where they tend to throw this stuff in. Like, I just was like, I picked up the Avengers West Coast epic collection and it started with Emperor Doom. Like, this is like volume three. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's fine. I mean, it has a bunch of Avengers West Coast. Wonder Man is the central guy in the story. But yeah, like, it's a I'm, Wonder like, Man oh, story. Okay. Yeah, I was like, all right, well, great, you know, so probably get thrown in somewhere where it can fit in. All right. All right. Well, all right. That go that is going to bring our discussion of Soviet. So Soviet. So be it. It's the Soviet. So be it. <laughs> the Soviet super soldiers uh, issue is coming to a close. So with that being said, Dean Compton, tell us about the unspoken decade and, and what's been going on over there. We'll get some plugs in here. You know, we're doing the unspoken decade, unspoken decade.com on Facebook. We're still talking about nineties comics. I've been posted a little more on Twitter lately. So go look at that. I really am going to try to write something before the end of the year, mostly to make Derry feel good because he misses my writing a lot. <laughs> He's always sending me notes. He's like, oh, man, could you please write something? <laughs> I'm going to try and write. Like, and I think that's enough time. Like Normally, I'm like, I'm about to write something. We get something done by December. Let's see if we can do that. Um, but in the meantime, you know, you can find these podcasts and stuff at the uh, Unspoken Decade. Um, uh, Simbi Fan writes a lot of great stuff for the website, and we're just always having a lot of fun talking about 90s comics, laughing with and at them and enjoying their greatness yeah or like their own we're having a good time that's that's the main thing i will tell you Derry, it's good to have you back once again thank you thank very you. much uh for for coming back can't wait to have you back on for dean do we have anything anything off the top of your head we're going to be covering next ghost rider 2099 which will probably be four to six issues because we'll shoot the first story art that's next that's up next that's what i have on this list okay my, for myself, hey, you could, got all sorts of podcasts in the fire. I mean, Dean, we've got, I don't know, we've got Star Trek, The Next Generation, and X-Men that's got to drop at some point. Yeah. Uh, I know that I just recorded and dropped our, it was me, Chris Armstrong, and Evan Bevins. We talked Sleepwalker, Colorblindness. That just dropped today. No, yesterday. It dropped on Wednesday. Source Material Comics Podcast is going to be dropping a discussion on Thor, Goddess of Thunder. Uh, first volume of that should be dropping here pretty soon. And I'm not really going to go on and on about all the other. I mean, dude, we got so much stuff in the can. It's going to be it's 
That's great. I love it. I love actually having things that I need to edit and can just edit those and get them out there uh, and and gives myself some time to breathe a little bit. So uh, I guess with that being said, for Derry Wait for Dean Compton, I am Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you again soon here on the Unspoken Issues podcast. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon. (laughs) 